Welcome back to the Roads to Wealth podcast. I'm your host, Josh Rhodes, and this is a show dedicated to interviewing folks that have built wealth in a variety of ways. I am not trying to capture their journey. This isn't going to be an hour of storytelling, but I am trying to double click on successful strategies, habits, tactics, plays, books, things that they have done or implemented in their own lives, in their own journeys that have contributed to their success and really started to pull them away from the pack. Once every three or four months, I book an interview with someone that I will call a unicorn. A unicorn in the business world is a company with a billion-dollar valuation. It's a really big deal. A unicorn in the people world, or at least in my world, Josh's people world, is an extremely unique, super weird person. And I mean weird in the best of sense. And each of them that's on this list will take that verb weird in the exact intent that I mean it for. Jesse Cole Savannah Bananas. He wore a yellow suit on the show. The dude just swims against the grain. He is weird. He immediately comes to mind. Deborah Neiman, the goat raiser, who's also an author, really unique side hustles. She's living on the fringe. She is extremely, extremely unique. But after today, Jess Bachman may be the captain of this list. Jess actually started his marketing career more traditional sense at mint.com. And in his stint there, created nine of the 10 most popular blogs that they've published to date. He's also the creator of the marketing infographic. Yeah. The marketing infographic, those visuals that we all know and that we all freaking hate. This dude started them. At the time, finding the marketing infographic. These things were new. They crushed. And he was published on Seth Godin. He appeared on the Martha Stewart show. You can find that on YouTube. It's hilarious. I watched it. He's published all over the place in online worlds. But today, Jess is the co-founder and the creative strategy director at Fireteam, a digital marketing agency for hire. It's a three-man shop that went from zero to $1.2 million in just 12 months. I pulled from their website a brief description of what these guys do. We are an e-commerce, direct-to-consumer, digitally native, Web3, performance, branding, linear commerce, non-fungible, pun-centric, story-yelling, data-eccentric, digital, B2B, boys-to-man, scale-mosis, omnicron-channel, growth-shucking agency is how they describe themselves. If we're on to the silliness, the weirdness of Jess, I called him the Captain Unicorn at the beginning of this. As I onboard potential guests and I have them for this little prep call that I have for 10, 15 minutes, I'll actually ask them for a bio that I can sort of riff off of here in the first few minutes. In the last two years, I have never once read a bio to you guys, but here is Jess's. Who is Jess really? He just turned 40, and despite being a former hip-hop DJ, wonders if he's still cool. The fact that he's only worn Crocs for the past five months and he rides an electric unicycle really aren't helping. He's the captain, my captain, of his own Noah's Ark, consisting of two cats, two dogs, three kids, but one's technically an adult. 
His wife is an artist, poet, and author, and would really, really appreciate it if Jess would stop leaving the cupboards open all the time. Equal parts tech-enthused gamer and survivalist bushcrafter, Jess is someone who enjoys the diversity and balance of the human experience. He brings all of these qualities to his work at Fireteam as the co-founder and creative strategy director. This dude is a unicorn and prepare yourself for the one, the only Jess Bachman. The road of the wealth, yeah. I do it for health. Yeah. For my kids and my spouse, yeah. financially sound. the bad day. Here we are. Jess, man, I get amped up for many podcasts, many episodes. The listeners will sort of make fun of me and probe at the idea that, I mean, I get lost in rabbit holes and with how your career and milestones skip around and your hobbies, I could have stayed in any of those areas (laughs) (laughs) much longer than an hour. That's where I wanted to start, brother. And obviously, thank you very much for being here to have an hour of your time with the creativity and the machine that you've built. It's such an honor, man. So thank you for being here. My pleasure. Yeah, my career is like an ant farm of rabbit holes. It's just (laughs) nonstop. Yeah, we're going to spend some time here at the top, maybe getting some giggles and unpacking that a little bit. I want to start a super, super weird place for me, and we'll unpack a couple of the fun things that I've observed or pulled from my research. And first, without much prompt at all, I didn't tell you this offline, and without me giving you too much information in my question, I wanted to see if you could bounce around off of a couple of your hobbies. I found that you're a gatherer of hobbies, and so I'm curious if you could rattle off a few for us. Sure. So my latest hobby is jewelry making, specifically making rings. So I'm working on that. And my ultimate goal there is to work myself up so I can give my wife a proper engagement ring. Oh. And then I'll probably be done with that hobby. Okay. Anything else going on right now? That is awesome, by the way. Nothing currently in terms of hobbies. I also play the bagpipes. And my sole purpose of playing bagpipes was to learn one song, Amazing Grace, and then to play that where my dad's buried at West Point. And I'll rattle off that song. Then I'm like done with that hobby too. Did your father go to West Point? Yep. He went to West Point. He's a veteran, passed away. Got it. As I did my homework, I found in ring making did not come up. So that's a new (laughs) one for me. I heard bagpipes, survivalism and bushcraft, underground hip hop obsessor. I got more than a thousand vinyls collected, all sorts of underground stuff going on. Even added an extra day to the week at some point in your career. Flex day. Yep. Yeah. That's a rabbit hole we could talk about. Yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. So I want to put a pin in this because there's a few, I think there's a bigger point, a bigger question that I want to get. Are you familiar with Jesse Cole? I am not, no. Okay. He is the owner of the Savannah Bananas and the guy is a unicorn. He Mm -hmm. is right down your alley. It's worth a name, jotting down and, and doing some homework on. Both of you guys are so unique. And the word unicorn is used in like the best phrase possible that you are the closest thing I've seen to Jesse. So I'm excited to chat with you on this. Jumping around from these hobbies that you had and you're obsessed with ring making and doing all these different things, found your career path, did the same thing. And you've done some jumping around and you've done some obsessing and each of those verticals, each of those career stops, you've become, for lack of a better term, an expert in that field. And I wanted to maybe attack this question of what does it take to learn a skill. 
And I know that's an interesting question. I don't think I've heard you unpack this yet, but those are a lot of skill sets, bagpipes, DJ, ring making, this marketing genius. You've done all sorts of really, really interesting things. And along the way, built an agency that's worth more than a million dollars. How do you go about tackling each of these tool sets or skill sets? Do you have a process and learning? Yeah. So the hobbies is very little to do with the business side of things. I do the hobbies to really force myself to like force the neuroplasticity in my brain to keep going, like learning the bagpipes. I don't even know how to read music, but even attempting to do that forces your brain to operate in different ways. And there's benefits to that that apply to other things. But in terms of like on the business side, I think I just get bored with certain topics or like I was sort of instrumental in bringing infographics to the marketing sphere. And that was my thing. And then at some point, infographics themselves started to lose their power, started to lose their juice. And so I'm not someone who's like, so I'm not invested in infographics where that's my identity. I'm going to go down with the ship. I'm going to find something else that's more effective. So constantly trying to find what's new and, and what's effective and being on the early end of those trends is critical to like figuring out which of my talents devote resources to. You mentioned the exact topic and I, I hate to do this to you, but now you've brought it up and you wrote it down for me. So I get to hit it. In my onboarding form, one of the questions I asked is like, you know, what weirdness do you have going on? And that list could have been 60 long, but you wrote one sentence and it says, I invented the marketing infographic. What the hell does that mean? And how did you make it happen? Right. So infographics have been around for probably a hundred years on the scientific side. But in terms of marketing, it really kind of started in mid 2000s, mid to late 2000s. And for reasons which I can't explain, I was involved in this project where I would diagram out the federal budget. Like I would read this thousand page budget document from the government and diagram it out in this sort of massive diagram. And I would sell that thing online. And then it got kind of popular. It got me on the Martha Stewart show for some weird reason. And I was talking to her about taxes and that was awkward. But some people saw that and they were like, and I put out content related to that because I was trying to get eyeballs on my particular poster. And I was making these like really rudimentary, like this is how much a billion dollars looks like and all that type of stuff. Those became popular. Some other marketing people were like, can you do that for my brand? And I started doing that and those became popular. And it was like, it was one of those golden periods in any new marketing effort where anything you do becomes popular because it's new. And so I did that for Mint.com. They absolutely obliterated the use of, of the infographic in their blogs and stuff. And like they did of their 10 most popular posts, I did nine of them and they were all infographics. And so I take responsibility, unfortunately, and I apologize <laughs> because shortly after that, infographics just became like this sort of wallpaper of like lazy marketing after that. Infographic, if my research serves me right, while silly now, and I hear you apologizing for it, gave you the opportunity to exit the rat wheel or this rat race and enter sort of solopreneurism or entrepreneurism and quit your job. So could you maybe hit a couple of those milestones and where you were and kind of just lead us up, get us up to the day that you quit your job or how all that came about? Yeah. So I come from a sort of a design background, untrained. I always wanted to be a designer. I took a job at a place called Select Design because I thought I could be a designer there, but I was really sort of operating like a 12-head sewing machine. And it was like very industrial. And then once my infographic 
took off this side project, this side hustle, which the word side hustle did not exist in 2006 and seven, you know? So once that took off and once I had about a thousand dollars in my bank account, I immediately quit my job. And then after this thing stopped going viral after a week, I had to make a living off whatever skills I had. And so that was really forcing myself to push this product. Again, this is, <laughs> I feel like I'm dating myself, but this is back in the day where like selling online, you had to go to a local bank and get like a merchant account. And then like, it was so complicated in like 2006 and seven. So you had to learn those skills for the very first time. And anytime you're again, at the forefront of something, those skills are valuable. And in, in the infographic realm, I was designing them for like $200. And then as more people ask, it became $400, $600, 1000 and then up to $4,000 for each of these things because I was early and I was good and there wasn't a lot of other people doing it, which is almost the most important part. The opportunity to get on Martha Stewart when you had the infographics and you were building that out. Actually, I watched it, by the way. You can find it on YouTube. I'll make sure I include the link in, in our description. Did you make that graphic? Was the idea like, okay, I had success. It blew up. Now, year over year over year, we're just going to replicate this thing and keep having the same users come in and buy it year over year? Yeah, because the data changes each year. It's like the one wall art that is like outdated every year. Every year, right around tax time is when it's relevant and when all the press wants to talk about it. And I had built up connections in the press so it could kind of go viral each year. And yeah, it's probably sell like $50,000 worth of that poster around that time. Going viral like that, even if you have something badass like this infographic that's new to folks and it's showing you how much a million dollars, billion dollars looks like, whatever it is, it doesn't last long, right? You could watch the graphic, the demand graphic, the attention graphic, it just do this steep dip. Yep. At that time, did you have a marketing skill set to where you're going viral and, and you're getting all this attention and creating all this noise? Were you able to capitalize on that? If so, what'd you put in place? The only reason I was able to capitalize on that is because it was very repeatable on a yearly basis. Sure. But I did not really have a marketing sort of mindset, but I had a more of a content making mindset and I knew how to produce content. And then other people, my clients would sort of take advantage of that. So I was kind of like not the market at that point. I was the content maker and other people were reaping my skills there. This may be a silly question. If you could go back and you knew what you knew today and you're going viral on an annual cycle and you're creating these graphics, would you have done anything differently? Like, Let's say you're talking to somebody, they are going viral and they have a video or a TikTok or something they've built and there's this moment that they need to capture attention. Any suggestions or is it still just like, hey man, ride that wave, put your hands up and enjoy it? Like, you know, Any advice? Yeah. I actually don't think there's a lot you can do while it's happening. You, if you're prepared for it and you have like an email list or a sign up and all that stuff, you might be able to capture some of those people. But while it's happening, first of all, as soon as you recognize it, it's almost like half over. Yeah, that's right. You're too late. Right. So, and then the other part is like, I've done it a lot and it always feels bad afterwards. It just feels like it's just such an endorphin rush. And then afterwards, the numbers, they just go down and down and down for weeks, you know? So enjoy it while you can, I think. Yeah. I don't think I've ever talked about this, but at one point, it's probably two years ago, Ashlyn, my lady, she ran a Instagram account for a little while and it got up to like 10,000 followers or something. And she posted this little video at one point on Instagram where she comes in, she has this lemon or I pull this lemon out of my pocket and she's like, Hey, did you bring me home anything from work? And I toss this lemon across the counter and she swats it off the counter. And she's like, I don't want this lemon. And the thing went 
bonkers <laughs> right. it got like almost two million views it went insane and like our parents and everybody's calling us like what the hell is going on how are y'all doing this whenever it ended i felt so bad i was like one, where did the attention go? But two, I felt like there was this opportunity there where I was getting so much traffic. Why did I not sell lemon underwear or shirts or something? Like I should have done something to capitalize on it. It's a missed opportunity. And like you said, right, in the moment I was too late. Yeah. So one of the things that's changed these days is virality is very much algorithmically driven. And you could have stuff that's like, you just don't understand why it has as many views. Back then when it was like blogs and, and content, if it wasn't good, it just didn't have a chance. It's not like a picture of a lemon would go you know, viral or something. So if you could create good content, you did have a good opportunity to go viral on a kind of consistent basis. So I feel like this is more or less in this warehouse here is where your expertise lies. And it's where I want to spend the next 30-ish, 35 minutes. In the last, in 12 months, in a 12-month span, you're able to build this agency that was $1.2 plus million. And I want to unpack a bit about your strategy and what you're implementing for customers. First, if I zoom out and back up, we talked about your history. So a little bit about how you've gotten to this point, your current agency, Fireteam. Could you share just a bit about what you guys do, your pitch, if you will? So Fireteam was started by three people, me and two other women who worked at a another agency together. It's sort of very traditional creative agency with clients like Gatorade and New Balance and stuff like that. And we were on the digital side and I ran the digital campaigns and I really fell in love with performance marketing and like with Facebook ads where you can see stuff working. Absolutely. Problem is that like that is fundamentally incompatible with a creative agency because I want to be as like as native as possible and they want to make beautiful art, you know, that doesn't drive sales frankly. And now when you like bring the attribution into the game, you can actually tell that their art didn't work and they didn't want to hear anything related to that. So we kind of left to start our own thing, mostly D2C, e-com clients, stuff like that, making Facebook ads. And you know, for the first year, it was really like Facebook, Instagram ads, growing, scaling, got into a little bit of email. And now we're kind of at a point where the platform's effectiveness has really been reduced due to some changes that Apple made. It's also more crowded. And what's really moving the needle now is telling us differentiating the brand or changing your message so it's more effective today and, and relying less on like Facebook finding buyers and kind of going back to some of the marketing that the old agency used to do where it's very like brand oriented. I think we put a performance sort of spin on that or lens on that where if you take your ego out of it, like I don't care about the art necessarily, but there is cases where a great story or make an emotional connection is more profitable on the ad side. I'm going to go grab this in a second. The shift that you're feeling, let me go back to you building or you leaping from the traditional legacy agency type business and realizing, I wrote down a quote that I found that was pretty funny. It says, we left because it was bullshit and it was not well suited for smaller, more nimble, fun client. Enough said. So you found two women that you were working with. You three got excited about, let's go work with some more agile, throw out some more fun campaigns, get folks excited about it. Did you three have the same type of expertise? Would I go grab two other sales folks or did you find people that, you know, one really good at graphic design, one good at marketing? Totally different expertise. And I say it's a little bit of an unfair advantage because I, I can do a lot of things, particularly on the creative side. So I'm also a media buyer, designer, copywriter, all that stuff. But we brought along a dedicated media buyer and also a dedicated account person because dealing with clients, it's nothing that I want to do at all. And she's way better at it. So... 
do you remember what you guys did? You know, you break away to run your own agency. You guys get spun up, you get together, you have, you're in a room. Do you remember what you guys implemented or the strategy to go get your first one, three, five clients? Like what were the needle movers for you out of the gate? Yeah. So that really made me nervous starting something new because I knew what like what getting clients looked like at the old agency was like, you are on the board of commerce or whatever, and you know all these people and you're super old and that's your network and that's how you find clients. I didn't have any of those types of connections whatsoever. So I was kind of real nervous if we could even find clients. But what I did was similar to the trends group, there's this Facebook group for D2C e-com stuff. I just dumped a lot of value in there. I posted and I, and I got a name there and I made connections with the owner of the group and he started referring clients to us. So we didn't have to find anyone. He started you know, he knew our skill set. And I actually think that's probably the best way for anyone starting something new to look for clients is find the person who is like a, a voice or a lot of times the person who is big in a community, they used to like run Facebook ads, but then they, they their voice got so big and they're inundated with leads that they cannot handle. They're like one person or something. And so they're always looking for outlets to move those leads to. And we were one of those outlets for him. And that's how we got a lot of our first clients. Beautiful. I feel like there are a couple... I'm going to talk about your campaigns here in a second, some of the successes that you've seen. But I wanted to ask a more broad, generic question and see if I could get anything interesting or if anything you know came to mind for you. The broad question, and then let me unpack it a little bit more, is what does it take to really get seen? Years ago, and you talked about this, people could rely on more or less hacking the system, uh, algorithms or optimization, You know, optimizing their funnel with a bunch of dollars. Boom, you hack it. You're turning on these faucets. And it's really... The term hackable is the best way to put it. With the new updates of social media and, and iOS and all these things coming down the pike, those hacking-like strategies seem to be weakening. And folks are having to rely on real marketing strategies or creating real noise. And I'm curious, in your opinion, what are some of the new emerging successful ways? What does it take to be seen? That question makes sense. Yep. I think what it takes these days is is kind of the same of what it always takes. And I think one of the reasons why these hacking things are losing their effectiveness is because they're kind of like lowest common denominator content. Like on Twitter, for example, Twitter is full of like, B players who are breaking down what A players do for the sake of like C players. It's just very generalized and it feels like it's all the same because it's kind of all the same and it's just kind of blending in. And absolutely, you can build a, a group of followers who are, you can build a group of low value followers. You know, I think what's important is what's always been important is that differentiating yourself, being different. There's a million of those people, or there's a lot of those people who are doing that. Because those are what's taught. Those are the hacks that people that are surfaced when you type like growth hacks. And then those are the ones that people are doing it and everyone's doing it. So as always, differentiating yourself with different tactics and then also making an emotional connection with people because those types of growth hacks, they don't do that. They're designed to get a, a follower and that's it. You know, they're not designed to get a like a true follower, like Kevin Kelly's like a thousand true fans type thing. So going for the differentiation and combine that with emotional connection in whatever you do, in whatever style you do, will continue to be effective. Do you have a recent example or a favorite example of this is right down your fairway and this idea of like get different or be different? 
you crushed this. I feel like this is what your agency is about. And so could you just make this a bit more less theory and more real and maybe an example of something you've done recently where there's a traditional marketing tactic or way to build noise and then what you guys did. What is something different or outside the box? Right. So marketing agency websites, there's always case studies. And I used to make them at the old agency. They're always bullshit. It's terrible to that agencies think that clients don't know that. You know, that clients are so dumb that they think like a number they don't know how to understand statistics at all, you know? And I didn't want to do that. So our website, like we have case studies, but we're also like, these case studies are bullshit as well. All case studies are bullshit. And we have a video that shows you exactly how to like pick out bullshit case studies. And so what we found is that clients or prospective clients, they love that honesty. They love honesty more than anything else, particularly coming from the agency world, which is full of dishonesty and case studies being the paramount North Star of all dishonesty at all. So to really go after be like just total differentiation and then make that emotional connection where they are nodding their head, they're agreeing with you before they've even hit the like contact button, that has been really effective for us. I want to get a little bit into your creative process. I'll probably regurgitate the same question here and see if I could get a little bit different color, more color from you. But I've given your numbers a couple of times, 1.2 million in 12 months. I think I saw somewhere roughly 70% margins. That doesn't feel like a normal agency. There's lots of success underlying there. And I wanted to ask, what do you feel makes you guys different? You know, A three-person shop, a three-man team, is it this ability to think outside the box because you know they could go to more expensive or more robust agencies with 5 10 15 people and put a full pod a marketing pod behind them what is giving you this success what's pulling you guys away from the pack yeah that's a great question i think part of it has to do with our background coming from a traditional agency because particularly in the media buying world a lot of agencies are very much Again, there's only so many media buying tactics that you can employ. And a lot of them are the same. And there's lots of good people that are sort of number oriented. And then everyone's just sort of deploying this swath of UGC videos or whatever. But those agencies don't have the creative background. And a lot of times they don't have the accounting know-how to deal with like a nine-figure client. We're getting a bunch of like nine-figure clients and like King's Hawaiian is now a brand of ours. And we only know how to deal with those because we've dealt with Gatorade and we've dealt with New Balance. And it's just the bureaucracy of that is not something that a pure performance agency could handle. So I think we're bringing the best of the creative side and the best of the performance side together in a package that doesn't really exist that well. Yeah. And you guys also built, I called it a machine at the top of the call. As I probed around and found out... You know, I tried to map out the business strategy and, and what you were doing to build momentum. And there were a few needle movers that I've seen you list out and that I was hoping you could add some color to. The first was this idea of going to get yourself a referral partner. And one of my favorite interviews to date was with Craig Mount from Nerdy Nuts, who's a part of the Trends Group. And he talked about this TikTok strategy. And he tried it with all these other media platforms or social media platforms and really didn't have much success selling the peanut butter. Goes over to TikTok and on multiple occasions, I think at the time it was once a month, he'd have to reach out to his affiliates and say, guys, stop posting your link. Like They were crushing on TikTok affiliates. I've found that you pulled in a referral strategy there at the top and maybe it's still implemented today. Could you share a little bit about what that strategy looks like, why it's important? Just kind of add some color to this. Yeah. Referrals are great because 
they're almost done deals, you know? So, and you get into clients that normally, like we got referred a client that was spending a million dollars a month, which kind of was like huge for us, but we didn't have that background, but because our referral partner trusted us so much, they trusted us to bring that client to us. The challenging thing with referrals is they're not free all the time. And sometimes like a million dollars a month client is a pretty hefty referral bill back there. And, and you know, that's a whole separate thing. But we actually don't really do that referral partner anymore because we don't need it. Our inbound is like jammed up, particularly from Twitter, where like we get leads in our inbox on the weekly. We're also looking for a referral partner now. So we've gone for the thing where it's like the person that was at the top because they needed leads. And now we're sort of jammed up. Now we need other people (laughs) to give our leads to. But yeah, starting with a referral partner is key, but you do need to move away from that. So that's key advice. And I think the point there you're making of like, there's gasoline you can pour in you know, initial weeks, months, like their early inception. You're giving away some of the revenue. I think your program, if you don't mind me sharing the numbers, is 30% for the first three months, 10% for the next nine months. That is a lucrative, lucrative. I mean, you made that friend or the Facebook group that you mentioned earlier. You found somebody to work with. That's a champion in the group or an admin in the group. And he starts to refer others to you. That guy could end up making a killing just through referrals. So I think that's super sexy. The other point, and you made it there answering my initial question, is you're a Twitter just savant. I mean, I feel like the how you're able to articulate your thoughts and, and especially the pages, the fire team's Twitter page, it's it's fire, man. So I wanted to, this is something I struggle with personally, is you know, I re- I record this podcast and from this, I'll have 25 clips and audiograms and quotes and things come from this. But writing on different social media platforms or writing on Twitter is an ass whooping. And it's something you're really good at. I wanted to know, do you have a process? You know, Do you just enjoy it? And so in toilet time in the morning, you're just typing away or on Sundays, do you block time and like grind it out for two hours? Yeah. So Twitter is very interesting. And I really did not expect it would work out as well for us. But Every platform is different, but I think Twitter, especially for new business, has a lot some key elements to it. One that is that all social media is a volume game. And the more you put out, the better. And with Twitter, it's just words. And if and if you're good at writing words, you can get those out. Whereas Instagram, it's like you gotta shoot, or YouTube is even worse. You gotta make video content. And you know, you, the podcast takes forever to do. You know, you can't do 200 podcast a month that you can tweet all the time. So, And then the other part of Twitter is interacting with people that are above you, which is key. And because you can just get all up in their conversations. And when you're in their conversations, their followers are seeing what you're doing. You can sort of rise pretty quickly. And you actually don't need a ton of followers. Like We have like 2,000 something followers, which is fine. Like Take a guess of how many people have viewed our profile in the last 28 days. Oh gosh, I have 2,000 followers. I don't know, 5,000 people. Let's see, 30,000. If 30,000 <laughs> 30, people have checked out our profile, and then from there they go to the website, and then from they reach out. Is there's a magnifying effect that I haven't seen on other platforms? Now there's detractors. Like I'm not going to go viral like you could on TikTok or anything. At the same time, it's been highly effective. You're not the first person to give us this feedback, and it sounds like if there's a time to give advice or interact in the or sort of build in public and interact with that entrepreneurial solopreneurial type of field twitter seems to be the place to go man i dug far enough back to to find that you mentioned in may of last year that 90% of your leads were coming from twitter i would assume that we're holding up something similar in that 8020 principle is still in effect there was one other 
interesting point here. And I, I think this is probably more speaks for itself and more entrepreneurs or our business folks are, are savvy with this, but I wanted to just shine a light on it really quickly. This idea of being able to upsell. And if you land with something that's a little smaller, but you're sticky and you can land and expand, you can really create some revenue and upselling an existing client is much, much easier than going to sell a brand new client and, and trying to win their business. I don't think I, I have any questions there. Do you have anything to add on the, the opportunity to upsell? Upselling on the agency side is important, not just because it's, it's harder to land new business, but because it's harder to find clients that work out in the long haul. Like We have a lot of new business coming in, but we know that not all those clients are right. Some of those people are going to be a huge pain in the ass. Some of those people, you're not going to know that until like, two months in when something goes wrong. But as soon as like we have one client where we started with media buying and it worked out, and now we do their email, we do their organic social, and we design the product, we do their website. And we're able to do that because the client has faith in us and we have in faith that they're going to do their stuff. So there's a lot of value into expanding and having a different range of services and being able to upsell that into existing clients that do work out. I hadn't thought of that. And that makes a ton of sense is aside from it being easier, you've already fully vetted. Like You guys have gotten past the dating phase. And at that point, you guys are somewhat married or there's an existing relationship there that you trust each other and you're comfortable and you know they pay on time and their flow and they show up to their meetings and like You've done the vetting. You could pass on the law of averages and the new customers and go get those guys that you have cadence with. That's such a good point. Yeah. And e-commerce now, the more we're doing it and we're seeing that success on the brand level has sort of less to do with how good the ads are and how good the operators are at the brand. And so it's like, like we really need to know that because a lot of these companies are sort of smaller, they're seven figures, they don't have this huge stratus of organization going on. So the people running it, the people you're talking to need to be like as kick-ass as we are. Otherwise, it's just going to be like a uphill battle, you know? Yeah. I'm going to pivot us a little bit and, and try to capture a little bit about your creativity and trying to put your brain on paper here. So bear with me, but we've talked about sort of how you've built your engine. And I want to talk about how you do things with customers now. And I mentioned Jesse Cole earlier, the founder of Savannah Bananas. His book, I believe it's called Think Different or Get Different, but he showed up to my show wearing a full yellow tuxedo. He owns seven of them. That's all he wears, man. A big yellow top hat. It's insanity. And at his baseball games, they're sold out for like three years, a waiting list for their season tickets. They do nothing normal. He wore a yellow tux. They have a breakdancing first base coach. Instead of having a dance team with like cheerleaders, he filled his dance team with grandmothers. And so they all come out on the field and they have these grandmas on the field. Their tickets are all inclusive. So you go get your Cokes and hot dogs and all that. All that shit's included in your tickets. You seem to be on the same wavelength. It's like, we're going to take a traditional model and we're going to shake shit up. We're going to get outside the box and try to go against the grain. My favorite quote from his was, I take what everyone else is doing and I do the opposite. Basic, but I love it. I want to ask you this. You guys seem to be on the same wavelength. I called you both unicorns. I want to maybe ask you the same question that I asked him. And it's, how do you come up with this shit? What is your process? A client comes to you, I come to you, and I'm ready to launch something like the HustleCon, or you know, I'm ready to launch my Roads to Wealth conference, and we're going to do something in Austin or Houston or whatever the case is. A product shows up. 
we sit down, we start to talk through potential options. How do you idea? What are the first two or three steps? And how can I start to go down this track with you? Yeah. So lots going on there. And when I think about like the core of myself, it's very similar. Like I have a repulsion to what's popular, which is why I have a thousand underground hip hop records. (laughs) But I think there's a little bit of a difference where one of the reasons why we try to do things that are unpopular is because they're effective a lot of the time. Like if someone just wants to run a certain playbook, they can go do that without us. There's probably someone better to help that. But one of the things I've learned from like going viral and being at the forefront of various trends is that that stuff works. So you have to play in those particular spaces and try stuff out. It's not about like, I'm not showing up in a yellow tuxedo, but I'm doing this stuff because it's effective. I'm bucking the trend because it's effective. And because it's also, this is hard to sell into clients. It really is to do something outside the box. You know, they say they want it and then you present it and they're like, show me the box again, you know? So one of the things that we try to do is we'll come up with an idea that's sort of outside the box, but it has all these underlying layers of tactical support or channel support or research or something. So it feels as safe as possible, but is also outside the box as well. Let's say we come up with an interesting idea at that table, we're sitting down, there's something outside the box and I'm willing to play with it. How long do you try something before you realize this was outside the box, but it's a failure? Do you have a build in flight process or a mechanism, a strategy you could talk through? Yeah. So usually when you see something identifying as a failure, there's, there's chances to pivot before you're like, you cut it, you know? So I don't know, the data will show you whatever data you can collect. And we are very data driven. And again, it's not just like being crazy for crazy sakes. It's like crazy works. And if it doesn't work, then you pivot pivot and you try something new. We did a campaign on Reddit. Do you know anything about it? No. Yeah. I've read, what is it like the second most popular or something like that? But yeah, please tell us about it. Yeah. But this is the only case study we ever made. And it's a two hour long video. I have to, I'll have to send it to you. So this brand wanted to the cider brand, Woodchuck Cider. They were at one point in time, they were 50% of the cider market. And then Sam Adams came in town and like kicked their ass and they got down like 2%. So they were like really sort of hurting. So we came in there. And so this was at the old agency and the old agency, they did all these like Facebook ads and did all these YouTube ads. But the three of us were like, let's do something on Reddit. Just trust us here. So we, we got some buy-in to do something on Reddit and we ran campaign on Reddit with open comments. It was like ad campaigns on open comments. I don't know if you're a big Reddit user, but anytime you see an ad with open comments, it's like literal cancer from there on down, you know? (laughs) Redditors hate advertisers and they give you every opportunity to give it to you. So, but I've been a Redditor for 15 years. So I know these people. And so I was able to handle them and manage them and turn them around. And as soon as they feel like, oh, you're one of us, it was just an entirely different vibe. And then so from there... We wanted to make Woodchuck Cider like, or the unofficial drink of Reddit. And I knew exactly what the post I wanted to be at the end of the campaign. And it was going to be like a picture of us or holding a cider that was like orange, like the Reddit orange. And it was going to be called We Did It Reddit, which is like a Reddit sort of uh, inside joke. And so we manufactured this sort of fake type contest working back where we're going to allow Redditors to come up with a cider brand. And they're going to give it a name and they're going to become part of this whole process. We already had the cider made. There's like no chance to actually make anything, but it was like this pumpkin cider or whatever. And it was like, fortunately it was orange. And we sort of did all these different posts where they called it like karma that, you know, that's their thing. 
Like these ads got thousands of upvotes. It was just insane. And like coming off the back of that over the course of their summer, like Woodchuck Cider had their best sales month in seven years. It was just so insane. What was the success on Reddit as far as like, was this a top performer on that side? Am I making that up? Yeah. So it was one of the most successful ad campaigns that they've run. And then the CMO from Reddit was like, what are you doing? How did you do this? And then they flew us out to New York to their headquarters to be like, teach us how you did this. That's what I remember. Yeah. They flew you back out there. That is insanity. If I could take you back to the inception of that idea, and this could be a, this may be a ridiculous question. How did it come up? You decided to come over, you go over to Reddit. Is Can we not recreate that? Like, Is that just in your brain, in the meeting? You were like, guys, I've got an off-the-wall idea. There's data and reasons behind it because the Woodchuck audience is a little bit older. They're kind of like older school. And so is the Reddit audience. And so I knew that there were some Woodchuck fans and you could search on Reddit for Woodchuck and find some of those people. So I knew that that audience kind of existed more so than like Facebook or something or whatever. And I knew that I could work with those people. I knew that I could speak their language and turn them around. So it seemed like something worth doing, but we didn't know how successful it was going to be until like the third post. And it was actually planned to be a much smaller campaign. And by the third post, we were moving all the money from those Facebook and YouTube ads to Reddit where it was worth. One more question, because I didn't know this. This is interesting. You said you were turning them around. Was the idea like you hit them with one ad and then the second ad was like a response to the first ad? Were you ad turning them around or were you in the comments? Like they were like, hey, dude, piss off, stop posting. And then you would respond. Like, how are you doing this? A lot of it happened in the comments because they would put these like troll comments and I knew exactly what those troll comments were. I'd actually respond with something funny and they're like, oh, wait a minute. You're one of us. Right. And so part of it is just a brand even responding in general because the bar is so low. So if you make people laugh or you say that there's someone on the other side of the, the table, my cover for this was like, hey, I convinced my boss to like spend $10,000 on Reddit. I don't know what I'm doing, you know? So I did live a sort of double agent dual life the whole summer pretending to be that person. That's hilarious, man. That is awesome. That's the type of outside the box thinking that I'm, I'm talking about or that I'm, I'm trying to get across to, to the listeners. I had one more thing I wanted to hit on and you do a good job at describing the journey, what you call the road, but the journey of an entrepreneur, of a business, when they get engaged and they start to go down this avenue of wanting to create noise. And there's this journey that you've gone through this process enough and seen businesses from sort of inception to their hundreds of millions of dollars. You've been able to work with all of them in between. There were a couple of steps. And again, this is on your website. You have a lot, several steps and you take us from inception all the way through that I wanted to zero in on. And I'm trying to get some foundational tactical steps, things that a listener, if they're tuning in and saying, man, I'd, I'm trying to get you know my own business, my own agency going, where do I start? One of the first things that I found that you did, very step one is called the system check. And you'll do this for an organization that's under $100,000 a month, that's making less than $100,000 they come in, they're interested in working with you guys. And the very first thing you'll do is sit them down and do this aggressive sort of audit, initial assessment of where they sit and what we're looking for. And I'm in cybersecurity. I do this in my space. It's like the very first thing I'm going to do is sit you down and find out where are you vulnerable and what are the low-hanging fruit? What could I do and have the biggest impact on your environment? And you do something similar here. I want to know in that audit, in that initial assessment, consult that consultation, the system check, what are you typically finding? Are there things that more often than not surface? If I could lean back on that 80-20. Yep. So a lot of times we will look at, well, ideally we want to see evidence of product market fit. 
And sometimes it's a little too early and sometimes you have to have a little faith, but a lot of times you look at the conversion rate as comparison to the average order value. And there's, there's a slope where like the higher the average order value, the lower the conversion rate. And we've sort of mapped that out. But if we see like good conversion rate, then some people want this because a lot of brands will like their mom buys it and their friends buy it and then their circle buys it. But until you're exposed to like raw, cold traffic, you don't know how that's going to perform. So we'll look for that conversion rate. And we've had cases where like this one brand, they made a sort of Southeast Asian sort of wedding dresses or, or and it was so differentiated and it was so cool. And I really felt like it could be like a huge trend. But when we looked at the conversion rate, it was so terrible. And it was like something is fundamentally broken here that we can't even assist with. It's not, it was so bad that it's not even like change the button color and all that stuff. And it kind of broke my heart that we couldn't work with them. But that's one of the things that we sort of look at the the conversion rate mapped out to the AOV. So conversion rate, anything else worth mentioning here? And I'm just only capturing sort of a broad stroke here. Anything else worth in that system check? Yeah, there's a lot of verticals where, well, certainly if the product can be demonstrated, that's very helpful. It can be real challenging to do supplements or food where it's like, it tastes good. Trust us. It works. Trust us. You know. But if your product can really value be demonstrated, particularly quickly, you're going to have a huge advantage. Beautiful. If I'm taking us down the journey, the second step that I saw was hitting the road. I want to point to another podcast I did with Monica Louie, where we did is a full hour of talking about what it takes to build a Facebook ad or an Instagram ad. And we've talked a little bit about your change in perspective. And so just for the sake of time and also where the meat of this sits, I'll bypass step two. But the, what I wanted to hit and what I wanted to make sure I got today was step three. It's called picking up speed. Once you have a target customer, you know there's product market fit, you're gaining a little bit of traction. There is a serious difference. And I've not had the chance to talk about this in the show between vertical campaigns and horizontal campaigns and attacking vertically and attacking horizontally. And I wanted to maybe have you talk through this a little bit and that once a solopreneur, once you know who your target customer is and who you're doing business with, could you share a little bit about maybe the difference between a vertical horizontal campaign and how you'd implement it, what that looks like, all that good stuff? I mean, this might get super technical into how the Facebook platform works, but when you put out an ad, and you know it has a particular pitch and it has a particular style and it's also going to a particular audience it might be like the audience is millions but the buyers pool the people that have facebook identified as buyers is much smaller and you can reach those people you can tap out those buyers that particular buyers pool and so what you need to do is you need to find pitches or angles that are different or tangential or may not feel like they're core to the product but it has a little bit uh, a wider audience. So for example, we have a, a soap client, a natural soap client where it's like zero waste packaging, yada, yada, yada. And they're spending as much where they've tapped out of the zero waste people that are buyers on Facebook. There's only so many of people that care or respond to that particular messaging. And even though that's like the main gist of it, you need to find other people. So we're going after, we've made creative where it's like bar shampoo and conditioner instead of bottles. So we're going after people who have messy showers because they have a lot of bottles. And we're like, you can just clean up your shower with these things, not even mentioning the eco-friendly or anything like that. And I tell you, there's more people that have messy showers than those that care about zero waste packaging. So going after those different, you know, horizontally related things. And then once you find something, then you sort of scale up within those. Do you keep a running 
notebook. Like if, if you come up with an idea, if I think that Jesse interview, he talked about this fun mirror idea or this gym, like when you walked in, in the lobby, they would have like a set of fun mirrors. And the first one make you look like super fat and the next one make you look skinny and the next one. And it was kind of this thing, like by the end of it, it was like sign up here to not look like this or whatever it was, but there was something really creative. And when you cross things like that, do you keep a running notebook or journal of like, damn, that was a good idea. Or I just thought of this. I should write this down. Are you saving all of these? No, (laughs) I'll tell you exactly why. Because if I were to write them down, first of all, I have these all the time. And if I were to write them down, that would create so much anxiety to act on them. Whereas like, if I forget them, if it's a good idea, it's going to come back the next week. It's going to come back in the shower. I'm kind of using that as a filter to be like, okay, that was a stupid idea. I'm thankful I forgot it. This one that's being resurfaced might be something to it. Yeah, that's actually good insight. (laughs) I'm a writer down and dude, that notebook gets messy, man. I've jumped around here quite a bit and it's not my typical process. The listeners are probably dying laughing or or cracking up at me, but I've been all over the place and I've not gotten nearly the amount of thoroughness that I would have wanted to gotten done. But man, I've covered a little bit about your skill acquisition, how you've attacked skills and learned skills. I've talked about how you've built this agency, what it looks like, what it takes we spent a couple minutes about talking about your creativity, your process and becoming not just being creative, but thinking differently. And then here, the last couple minutes, we talked about some of the milestones you've seen organizations go through in their first handful of months as they're working through product market fit. What have I missed, brother? My catch-all question here. I mean, a few minutes left. Have I broad stroke 101 course type material? Have I missed anything? Is there anything worth circling back and, and hitting one extra time? I can tell you about something that we're planning on doing this year, which I'm kind of excited about. So when I think about like, what am I really good at? Like doing all these infographics and doing these tweets and stuff. It's all really explaining stuff. It's explaining how things work. And the infographics, the ones that I did, like there weren't like numbers based. It was like, why HDMI cables so overpriced? You know, it wasn't like, it was just breaking down concepts. That's what I do in my tweet, Twitter threads as well. What I'm seeing in terms of like learning Facebook ads is a lot of like course material that is so just dry and like really focused on like super tactical stuff. And I feel like there's really fundamental underlying concepts that make sense to modern marketers that aren't being surfaced. Like even like if you go read like Zig Ziglar or these old school salespeople, they're employing all these tactics and they didn't have the like mental pop psychology to explain it back then. But all that stuff is sort of still true. So what I want to do is put that material into courses or educational content that is like hilarious and funny and has memes, but really breaks down the fundamentals of these marketing concepts that are like way too tactical these days and allowing people to build on those and come up with their own tactics because you know that's what success is going to be is not picking the latest tactic and running with it but using the the core concepts to come up with your own stuff I mean that's awesome man is this going to be under the the fire team brand yep. or are you no shit this, that is awesome how do you have the time dude I don't <laughs> <laughs> No, we're hiring people. So hopefully I'll get some more time. Not fast enough, man. This has been incredible, brother. I mean, you can hear it from your overview, from your hobbies. I'm taking place of either a customer, your team, or making rings and all of which I don't deserve, brother. So I'm very, very thankful for you giving us an hour of your time and and sharing some of your knowledge, your expertise with us, man. I'd love to have you back on. Yeah. When will this episode come out? I'm looking probably three-ish weeks from today. Yeah. 
So our new website will be up then. And if you want to see all these concepts in action, a great example there. Yeah, man. Well, I can't wait to see it. I think I'm going to get beta access after the call, but I love the copy and what this current one looks like. So I'm pumped to see where you're headed to or what you're maturing to. For the folks that have tuned in that need more of this, that maybe they they want to capture some of the content, these courses and stuff that you're talking about later in the year, maybe right this second, they're just like, dude, let me go absorb some more of what you have going on. What's the best place to find you, get a hold of you, all that good stuff? Yeah, certainly Twitter at hire fire team, you'll get a gist of how we roll. And then from there, our website's linked there. So check it out there. Yeah. For the listeners, thank you all for tuning in. Everything that you guys need, links to websites, to Jess's social, all of that good stuff, all of the notes, links, transcripts can be found at roadstowealth.com. And as always, I'm extremely thankful for the continued support, the continued growth week over week. Until next week, stay on your grind. I truly cannot get enough of these fringe specialists, these people that operate and think on the edge of things. It's probably 30% because my brain, it won't operate like that, but it's 70% because I firmly believe that these are the people that surface themselves and separate themselves. These are the people that stand out. And to be frank, the proof is in the pudding, right? These guys think and operate so differently that they make lots of noise. They get lots of attention. They see lots of success. And because of all that, they make lots of money. I mentioned this earlier, but my brain does not organically or or naturally work like this. But I do believe that with exercise, you can strengthen that creativity muscle. So when I listen to people like Jess or Jesse Cole or Deborah Neiman or any of these folks that seem to be thinking on on a different frequency, I love getting their tactics and trying to find ways to translate them and what they're doing into my world. You guys, many of you have heard me call this cross-pollination. I hope that many of you, some of you, can find something, a nugget within this interview today to cross-pollinate with your own lives. Maybe it's finding a way to get the ball rolling with a referral partner like Jess did with his business and finding a way to actually incentivize people to bring you business and creating that channel. Maybe it's how to ideate and actually starting to process different forms of information, being able to digest that and come up with actionable items. Maybe it's just walking through the first couple of steps that we talked about at the end of the podcast, the road and how to get the momentum built in your own hustle, whatever it is. Know that I have loads of information, loads of detail on my website, roadstowealth.com. That is free to grab all the resources, all of my notes. And while you're there, please feel free to ping me. I've really enjoyed chatting with, getting to know many of you here in the first couple of months. My goal here is to try to open up a link on my website here in the next couple of weeks where I can start booking 10 to 15 minute calls with each of you and learning What are you guys thinking? Where are you at? What do you want to learn about? What does your portfolio look like? Let's just make sure that I'm still headed in the right direction. It's not only benefiting me, but it's benefiting us. That's all I have this week. Very, very thankful for the support. I appreciate Jess, his time coming on the show. If I didn't say that as I got this kicked off. Until next week, stay on your grind. (laughs) 
on smooth. You know what I'm saying? Keep on making the beat, by the way. Just let y'all know what's going on. <laughs> Tell them, it's the, it's the, it's the road of the wealth. Yeah, yeah. I do it for health. Yeah, yeah. It's the road of the wealth. Yeah, yeah. My spouse, yeah, yeah. It's a road of the wealth. I do it for help. Yeah. My kids and my spouse, yeah. financially sound. Yeah, it's a road of the wealth. Yeah. I do it for help. Yeah. My kids and my spouse, yeah. financially sound. If life about purpose, it gives you something to see. Yeah. Uh. I've been setting cash goals, financially speaking. Uh. I've been finding blessings through all of these demons. Uh. I pray to God, I give you something to reach with. Uh, see, I give you something to leave with This life about goals and achievements Your eyes on the prize, they hit out your mind They pray to whatever beliefs in Teach on the way, know that they beat you on the way Gotta shine hard in the teacher's water Know that little seed, they gon' grow the moss So every day, gotta come with us Shit, so they give you something to stand on Make the fuss off when you land raw Make you put some new friends on It's the road of the world, uh, I do it for help yeah. My kids and my spouse, yeah. financially sound uh, It's the road of the world, I do it for help. Yeah. My kids and my spouse. Yeah. Financially sound. You the bad dad.